Well, good morning, Chili Bible. Morning. All right. Glad you all are here on this Mission Sunday. And if you're a visitor with us, uh, let me extend our warmest welcome to you as well as to our uh, visiting missionary friends. Uh, we're glad that all of you are here worshiping with us uh, on this uh, great spring morning. And hasn't the weather been glorious? We've got lilacs ready to bloom here in about another week. That's fantastic. Just want to lay out in the sunshine and kind of soak it in, you know. Um, been it's been great this weekend to celebrate missions and how our church is involved in in the mission of sharing the gospel and introducing Jesus uh, and what He has done on the cross for all humanity. Uh, we get to celebrate that uh, as part of uh, our mission fest every year, but we also get to live that out and get the opportunity to uh, to do that. Uh, on a daily basis, and in the last few weeks, as you remember, we've been talking about the cross of Jesus. What is Jesus doing on the cross? Obviously, he's dying, but what's the significance? What's he accomplishing? And we've compared it to uh, being like a great jewel at the center of the scriptures is the cross, just like a solitaire diamond that you might give to your beloved and it has all these different facets and aspects and different ways that the light of the gospel is reflected in it. And we've looked at things like redemption and justification and propitiation and expiation. And this week we want to look at that Jesus Christ is hanging on that cross to save the nation. And you might think that if you uh, haven't really studied it, you might think that this is mostly a New Testament idea. In fact, a lot of people think that, that, well, God was working with Israel in the Old Testament and he kind of did his thing with them under the Old Covenant and they've got the sacrifices and the, uh, the priesthood and the, uh, the Shekinah glory and all that, and that's all really important. But then Jesus came and then... God was concerned about not just the Jewish people, but also all the nations. And in reality, if you read even your Old Testament with eyes to see, what you see is that God has always been concerned about all of the nations across the entire earth. And that God has always had a plan and a purpose to reach not just certain people, but all people from every tribe, from every language, from every nation across the entire globe. And what we want to do this morning is look at a few of these passages, and there are lots, and we're, we don't have time, we would be here all day, uh, and to look at all of these texts that where God underlines and emphasizes his passion that lost people be reached with the good news about Jesus and that they come to follow him. But we want to look at just a few of them, and I'm going to look at three, and then I'm going to reference several others. But the first one we want to look at is where we get the theme verse of our Missions Fest this year uh, in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 to 3. If you've got your, if you've got your Bible, uh, open it up to Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 to 3. If you don't have a Bible, we've got uh, a couple of extra ones back there that are brand new, unwrapped, in, I mean, or wrapped up in the plastic. Go grab one. Nobody will look and you won't be embarrassed. Just grab one and take that uh, with you as our gift to you. We want you to have God's word in your hand in a translation you can read and understand. Uh, 
And uh, so if you've got your Bible, Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. And this is the Abrahamic covenant. This is God making a promise to to Abraham. In fact, he's not even called Abraham yet. Still to Abram. And God says, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and those and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, again, this is God's first announcement of his covenant with Abraham. But notice as you read these two verses, there is a reason why God is going to take Abraham and make him into a nation and bless him and give him a great name. In the very first line, it says this, it is so that, that's a reason, so that you might be a blessing to others. And Abraham does not know it yet, but it is through him that God will make himself known in the most significant ways that he ever has. It is to Abraham and to his people that come after him that belong the covenants, both Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Uh, It is to him and his people that are given the priesthood and Shekinah glory and the temple and the miracles and the Red Sea crossing and deliverance from Pharaoh. And in all of these things, God is going to reveal himself and make himself known as the God who is really there, the God of heaven, the God of creation, the God who rules and reigns over every aspect of human life. It is through Abraham and his people that are going to come not only the prophets but also the apostles who are going to write down and record God's revelation not just for Abraham and his people but for all people that God's word might go out through the entire earth. And Abraham is being promised right here at the very beginning I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to give you a great name. And I'm going to make you famous so that you can be a blessing in turn to other people. And then it was through through these, these promises, through God's special relationship with Abraham, that God's blessings would come not only to the Jews, but to the whole world. Because God promises here to protect Abraham and his people, blessing those who bless him and cursing those who curse them. And the primary reason for that is not simply because God chose them, but because of the reason why God chose them. So that they, so that through them, all of the families of the earth might be blessed. In other words, This is the most significant family on the entire planet. And God says, trust me, and I will protect you, and I will look after you, and those who mistreat you, I I will get after them, and those who bless you, I will bless them, because you are the most important group of people on the earth, because it is through you that the revelation of God is going to come. And it's going to be there as a blessing to all of the nations. And in fact, through Abraham, 
And we can see with the benefit of hindsight that it's through Abraham the greatest blessing of all is going to come, the Messiah. And through him, through the Messiah, the perfect descendant of Abraham, all of the nations of the earth can be adopted children of Abraham by faith. And so God constantly reinforces this aspect of his covenant with his people throughout the whole Old Testament. To cite just a few examples, if you go into the book of Exodus, what you see in Exodus is not just God redeeming his people out of the land of slavery in Egypt with his mighty hand and his outstretched arm, as the prophets say. What you also see is that with all of the Jews, there are a whole bunch of other people. They're called the mixed multitude that went up with the Jews, that saw what God did in the plagues and how God delivered and how God made a distinction between his people and the people of Egypt and how God cursed the Egyptians for their worship of their false gods and how God protected and blessed his people. And a bunch of people saw that and went, whoa, we've been bowing down to the wrong thing. We need to worship and serve the true God. And so they went up with the nation of Israel, out of slavery. And God made them part of his covenant people. If you look at, if you look at the rest of the Old Testament, what you see is there's all kinds of non-Jewish people who are included in the people of God. You can look at Tamar. You can look at Asenath, which is Joseph's wife that he marries in Egypt. You can look at Rahab and Job and his friends, and you can look at Ruth, the Moabitess, and most of David's mighty men are not Jews. They're Canaanites, the vast majority of them. You look at the widow of Zarephath that Elijah goes and stays with. She is from Sidon, which is a Baal-worshipping country to the north of Israel, modern-day Lebanon. And all of these people become worshipers of Yahweh. And then Solomon, when he constructs his temple, he builds in it a court of the Gentiles so that all of the nations from all over the earth can come and worship the true God because they understood what God had told them through Abraham, that God was blessing them, protecting them, providing for them, not so that they could be just simply blessed on their own, but so that they could be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. And God is saving and drawing to himself all through the Old Testament people from all the nations. And if you read Psalms, what you see is that God promises not simply to include in his people Jews, but people, and I love this verse, people from distant islands who have not heard my fame or seen my glory. Guess where we are? in relationship to Israel. <laughs> We're one of those distant islands out there somewhere that had never heard of God, that did not know about Him. Our brother who's here with us, he's from distant islands who have only recently begun to hear of the glory of the living God revealed in Christ. And God promised to do that, not in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament. Why? Because the same God with the same heart to reach the entire world with the gospel. Of course, you see, one of the most famous passages in your Old Testament is in Joel, where God promises to put his Holy Spirit not just on his people, but on all people. 
to pour out his spirit on all flesh so that your young men will dream dreams and your old men will see visions and your your wives and your daughters will prophesy and will be filled with the spirit so that the earth might be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. And then you, you see all this predicted and you see some partial fulfillment of it, but then you see a major fulfillment in Jesus Christ in his advent, in his coming and dying on the cross. And I want, to, want you to flip over to John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. These are probably, I hope for you, very familiar verses, but we want to look at them closely because what you see here is God's concern made manifest. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Uh, these are some of the probably the two most familiar verses in your entire Bible, maybe after Genesis 1.1. Everybody seems to know that one and this one, even if you're a non-Christian. But here's the thing. Familiarity can sometimes cause us to overlook the really obvious. And part of the obvious is the scope of Jesus' sacrifice that is highlighted here in this verse. If you look at this, what you see is that the word world in two verses appears how many times? Four. You think that God intended to emphasize the fact that Jesus' coming was for the world. I think so. And that anyone, whoever believes in him, anyone in the entire world who recognizes God's love revealed to him in Christ on the cross, crucified and raised for him and his sin, anyone in the entire world can experience new life in Christ. And that that coming of Jesus was not simply for the people of Israel, although it was for them. It was for the Jew first, but it was also for all of us Gentiles. Because Jesus Christ came for the entire world. And he didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And sometimes we miss that. And we think that, well, Jesus came for people like me. People who look like me and act like me and talk like me and have the same kind of lifestyle as me. But no, Jesus came for all people throughout the entire world. That all people, that whoever believes, might have eternal life and be adopted as a son of the true God. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life because his sin is covered by the one man, the God-man, Jesus Christ, who is the universal Savior. And one day, we're going to get to see the consummation of all that God has promised. Of the, the sheer scope and vastness of God's universal plan for salvation. And I want to show you a prophetic peek at it uh, here as we, as we start to wrap things up here a little bit. Uh, Revelation chapter 5. If you've got your Bible, flip over there. Revelation chapter 5. 
this is the, one of the most majestic scenes of worship that you will ever see. And if you want to know what worship in heaven is like, you've got to read this. This is fantastic stuff. This is John the Apostle writing about what he's seeing in heaven. And he says this, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, is conquered so that he can open the scroll and his seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it has been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people from, for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in earth and on heaven and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down, worshiped. Now, this scene, I can't, it gives me chills to read it to you. Can you imagine what it would be like to be there and to see this? We get a look into the very throne room of God. And instead of just sort of imagining, I wonder what it would be like to stand before God in his glorious presence, we get a look at what it's actually like from someone who was there. And... This is the time in, the, in prophetic history right before the seven seal judgments that begin the tribulation are opened. And John is seeing what's going to happen yet in the future. And it's not my purpose here today to get into what are, what are the nature of all those judgments and all of that kind of thing in detail. Someday soon I will teach through all of Revelation before I die. Uh, I'm going to teach through the entire Bible in this church, <laughs> and, and we will get there. Uh, but here's the thing. point is, is that John sees a scroll of God's judgment, and that's why it appears in the hand of the one seated on the throne. The one seated on the throne is God the Father. And at first, there is no one found in all of heaven or all of creation who is worthy to open that kind of a scroll. For that kind of a, to open that, kind of a scroll, you have to be personally divine. 
And so John weeps because he wants to see what's in there. And suddenly, one of the 24 elders, uh, it's prob- the, the 24 elders, I think, are symbolic of the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12, prophet, uh, the 12 apostles of the church united together. Uh, he directs John. He says, look at the lion of the tribe of Judah. But what John sees isn't a lion. It's a lamb, a young lamb. And he stands in the middle of the throne to symbolize his identity as God. And this lamb is unique. I've never seen a lamb like this. This lamb has seven horns. And horns in Scripture are symbols of power. You know, so as an example, the psalmist will say, uh, cry out to you, O God, my rock and the horn of my salvation. It's a symbol of God's power to deliver And so this lamb has seven horns, which symbolizes complete power. Seven is the number of completeness. So God is, this this being has all power, and he also has seven eyes. He sees everything. And these eyes, that John himself tells us, are symbolic of the seven spirits of God. The idea that the spirit of God goes forth into the entire earth completely. And this gentle lamb also says that he is standing there as one slain. So in other words, he carries on his body the mark slaughter. And we're meant to identify the lamb as being Jesus, who in his first advent came to be slaughtered for your sins and for mine. And yet he is called the lion of the tribe of Judah because yet there will be a second advent when he comes as the reigning king. But he has already triumphed, and he is judged worthy to take the scroll and open it. But before he does, heaven just explodes in spontaneous worship. And, and first you see the, the 24 elders and the four living creatures. These four living creatures are these beings that have wings that's, that are always connected with the throne of God. Uh, there are... Uh, in fact, Isaiah describes them as having six wings, and with two they covered their face, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. Remember them? And at the sound of their voices, the temple shake. These things are powerful. And they and the 24 elders all bow down before God, and they start singing, and they start singing about God's magnificent salvation. And how, how the lamb is worthy to take the scroll because he was in fulfillment of God's plan, slain. And with his blood, the word there literally is agarazzo, which means it's the agora is the marketplace. You bought, you bought with your blood. You paid for. You saw sinners who were held in slavery to sin from all over the entire world, every tribe, language, people, and nation, and you bought them with your blood. You paid for their sin. You ransomed them from slavery, and you made them, according to this, verse 10, a kingdom and priests to our God. Now, you may not know it, but those are words that God uses in his covenant with the nation of Israel. 
He says, I will make you a kingdom of priests with the idea that they would go out to the entire world and say, come and see, come and meet the living God who dwells among us. And interestingly, in the New Testament, that's the goal, that we are made, according to John, a kingdom of priests. And our job is to go forth into the world and say, come meet the God who dwells among us, the lamb who was slain and bought me with his blood. Come and hear, come and worship, come and join in the song of the lamb who is worthy of worship who was slain and by his blood bought us. And then, as that's going on, all of a sudden, the word myriad there literally means millions. Millions of millions and thousands of thousands. How many angels are there? I don't know. A lot. And what we do know from elsewhere in Revelation is that one angel can shout in such a way that the entire universe and all in creation can hear it. And all of these millions of angels are singing. Can you imagine the sound? I think we sound pretty good. There's about 170 of us in this room. Okay. Millions of angels are singing and celebrating and worshiping the living God. Why? Because in fulfillment of God's plan and purpose, people from all over the world were bought with the blood of the Lamb. People from all over the world. Can you just imagine? And finally, it goes all the way, it it goes out like a wave until all of creation, everything on earth and under the earth and in the sea and flying in the air, everything is joined in the song praising and worshiping God. Because what brings God the most glory is the redemption of people who were sinners and who were his enemies. And by the way, I'll just say this to you. Statistically speaking, 95% of Christians in America have never in their life shared the gospel with anybody. And I will just tell you that if you have never told anybody ever about how Jesus Christ came to die on the cross and be raised from the dead to pay for their sins and to give them new life, you are missing out on the greatest joy that you can ever experience in the Christian life. Nothing beats that. Nothing. If you want to experience more excitement and fun in your Christian life, and you, if you wonder, I wonder where the life abundant that Jesus promised is, try that one. Because it's a rush. Let me tell you, you can get excited for a week when somebody that you share the gospel with turns and repents and follows Jesus. It's the greatest joy there is. If I find any be- anything better, I'll try that. But this is as good as it gets. I'll tell you for sure. And here's the great thing. We get the opportunity, we get the very great privilege and blessing of being present one day around this throne. Can you imagine what that would be? 
you and me and the four living creatures that fly through the air screaming, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the 24 elders, I don't know who they are, but we will see them. And then we will be joined by millions of angels who will scream and shout with glory and praise to God. And then we will stand face to face with the creator of the universe. And we will be held, we will behold his glory. And we get the privilege of participating in this in a couple of ways. And I want to encourage you to participate in at least one of these today. The first one is this, is that you need to join it. You need to be part of the kingdom of God. If you have never experienced what it's like to be a son of the living God, and by the way, I choose that term advisedly. I know there are women here, but in the scriptures, what you need to understand is that those who hold full inheritance rights in the scriptures are called sons. And so when you are adopted into God's family, you get adopted as a son, someone who possesses full inheritance rights right alongside Jesus. That Jesus is your brother and God is your father and you are adopted into the very family of God. And if you've never done that, again, I am not going to ask. I'm going to beg. I'm going to plead with you. Please, join in the kingdom. Because Jesus did not simply die for the sins of the entire world, although he did. He also died for your sins, for you personally. The writer of the Hebrews says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. You know what the joy set before him was? You. If you had been the only person who had ever needed him to come, he would have come and been crucified for you. And Jesus is calling you, if you've never believed in him, to turn from your old way of life and to turn toward him and to leave your sin and your shame and your guilt behind, be forgiven of all of that and find new life in Him. And if you've never done that, all you would need to do is this. Say to God, I know that I am a sinner. I know that because I am a sinner, I am justly deserving of your wrath and judgment and separation from you in hell. But I am putting my trust in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for my sins and was raised from the dead to give me new life. And I am asking you to receive me into your family as your son. And at the moment you do that in faith, trusting God, you immediately receive entry into God's family forever. No one ever used to have eternal life. You are God's child from that moment forever. Second thing you might try today 
is you can you get the privilege of adding to God's kingdom. You know that? You get to do that. You get to not only join it yourself, but you get to add to it. You get the privilege of doing that because missions is the very heart of God. It is absolutely, if you want to know what is God's heart in his activity in the world, it is to make worshipers of himself and his son and to introduce them to himself and to reveal his glory to them and to show that Jesus Christ is the all-sufficient Savior who forgives of sin and judgment and brings life into his family. And if that is God's heart, then let me ask you, where should your heart be? Is it your deepest desire to see other people come to worship Yahweh, the King of creation, through faith in Jesus, the crucified Son, by the power of the Spirit? If that is not where your heart is, may I suggest this to you? You need to repent. Because you are literally an entire universe away from God on this. Because God's desire is to fill heaven with worshipers of every tribe, nation, people, language. And if you have never introduced anyone to Jesus, you need to repent. This is your job. This is why God, having saved you, has left you here. This is the task to which we are called, is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified and raised for sin and sinners. How about you start this week? How about this? How about we all commit to this? Okay? I'll do it if you'll do it. We'll hold each other accountable. Invite one family by June 1st. How about that? To come to church. You don't have to open your mouth about Jesus. I'll do that for you. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) I'll make you a deal. (laughs) All right? But invite one family to hear the word of God and and to hear the gospel proclaimed. And then say to them, hey, what'd you think about that? Have you ever placed your trust in Jesus? I'm going to tee up the opportunity for you if you get him here. (laughs) Okay? Why? Because we have the privilege of adding to the kingdom of God, of having part of the people who are there be there because God the Holy Spirit used us to open our mouth with the message, which is the only message that saves people from sin, death, and hell. One last thing, and I'll leave you alone for this week. Till tomorrow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, last thing, and I would be remiss if I didn't do this. God may be calling you to be a missionary. And I don't just mean a missionary in the sense that all of us have a responsibility to participate with God in the mission. What I mean is God may be calling you to leave your family, to leave your, to leave your home church, to leave your home state, your hometown, and to go somewhere else and have the privilege of adding to God's kingdom there as a church planter or as an evangelist 
or as uh, someone who starts a school where people can be trained and taught to share the gospel. And I believe with all my heart and soul that there may be at least one person in this congregation, it's my prayer that there is, at least one person in this congregation who is saying to themselves right now, I can feel God poking me in the chest and saying, that's you, son. That's you, young woman of God. That's you. I'm calling you right now. And if that's you, talk to me. Because we would love to participate with you in preparing for the mission God has for you. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have the magnificent privilege of worshiping you by the power of your Spirit through faith in your Son. Father, we thank you that Jesus Christ came into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him, that through the blood of the Lamb, people from every tribe, nation, people, and language are being saved even now. 26,000 people a day place their trust in Jesus Christ for the first time all over this world. 25,000 new churches are planted every year because you, by your Holy Spirit, are at work in the world. And you are calling worshipers to yourself that we might surround your throne and give you praise every day for all eternity. And Father, we pray that if there's anyone here who has never decided in their heart of hearts to join in the song and to celebrate Jesus for all eternity, Father, we pray that you would be calling that person to yourself by your Spirit's power right now and that he or she, man or woman, boy or girl, would place their trust in you today and receive the new life that we talk about and proclaim. And Father, I pray for us as a church that we would be faithful to carry out the mission you have entrusted to us of introducing people to Jesus, the crucified and risen Savior, who came to die for sin and sinners, that we might have a, a rich treasury in heaven of the blessings that we have received by being a blessing to others. Father, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.